You're listening to the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. everyone, welcome back to the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. Before we jump into our message on Genesis, we have a question that uh, someone has asked that we want to take care of first. So, uh, on Sunday, uh, we preached on refugees, and Christmas forced us to do this because, of course, Jesus is a refugee at Christmas time. Uh, he is forced by a political leader to have to flee his land and go to a land that is not his own homeland of his family in order to survive. Otherwise, he would have died. So with that being said, uh, we see the Bible painting this huge picture of how we need to love refugees. In fact, uh, love foreigners, love immigrants, and uh, be kind to them and treat them as natives is actually what the Bible says. Uh, You can check out the message for more details on that from uh, this past Sunday. But the Bible in general is very loving and open towards what it often calls sojourners. Sojourning is coming and living among a people that are not your own for an indefinite or definite amount of time. And uh, the Bible is very open to that prospect. In fact, God actually talks about judgment on his own people for not... uh, uh, for how they often are unkind to sojourners and don't treat them as natives and uh, uh, deal unjustly with them. So, with that being said, that's actually a huge word for us today, as there's so much talk about building up walls and trying to keep people out of our our own country. Uh, that is not what the Bible paints as an image for how God's people are to live. All right, with that being said, the question that was asked was about refugees. That's why we bring it up. And on slido.com, if you go there, when we're preaching, you just type in hashtag 1208, and it takes you to a place to add questions based on the message that's being preached. And here's what uh, someone anonymously asked. Is the fear that some have of foreigners derived from societal constructs and national extremism, or is it a lie straight from the devil? Okay, so in response to this, uh, what you often have to understand about the devil is uh, it's not usually just as simple as it's uh, only satanic or it's only demonic. Um, Often Satan partners with the things that are already going on in our flesh. Uh, Actually, C.S. Lewis, his book uh, about demons, uh, Screwtape Letters, is really the perfect example of how Satan usually works. He he, uh, you know, tells these lies and kind of works with the things going on in your life already and, and so on and so forth. So I would say uh, that this is, it's two parts. It's partially uh, the fear of foreigners is often from flesh and then it's kind of spurred on by Satan. So, for example, 9-11. I grew up uh, closer to Detroit, grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. Uh, when 9-11 happened, a lot of people were coming into our school that day and taking their children home. Part of the reason was because uh, was we lived very close to Dearborn, which was uh, the highest populated uh, Arabic part of America. 
at least at the time. I think it's only gone up since then. So people had this uh, fear from a flesh standpoint that maybe something would happen close to them. And so they look at the uh, ethnicities of the people around them and suddenly they're afraid. And now they're listening to Satan spur on their fears. You know, your children are going to get killed if you don't get them out of school and, and flee right now. So they're they allowed their flesh to take note of the differences around them, and then they allowed Satan to kind of pry in there and speak his own lies into that as well. I would suggest that that's typically kind of the way that things work. Now, did they need to be afraid? No. I mean, you look on the TV and you see that there are these Arabic people who are flying planes into buildings, and naturally you're going to suddenly think you are at war with the people of that race. Um, but as things unfold, you, you really begin to see, huh, uh, well, you're really at war with people who are a part of that race, but the rest of the country is not exactly interested in the same thing. So with that being said, uh, is it a lie from the devil? Is racism a lie from the devil? Is fear of foreigners a lie from the devil? Yes, absolutely. He loves to work in those ways. Anything he can do to separate humanity apart is a lie from the devil. But uh, few things are purely Satan. A lot of it starts with our flesh, and then it allows Satan to speak into the anxiety of it, and it becomes kind of this twofold thing. Uh, if you think of, if you think of even Jesus, that verse where he tells Peter to get behind me, Satan. Uh, actually, let's let's pull that verse up really quick. Matthew sixteen twenty one to twenty three. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay, so right here you actually see the three sources of, of uh, often the things that rule our lives or try to rule our lives, the three sources all at play here, okay? So there's God, there's uh, us, our own flesh, and then there's Satan. And right here, Jesus kind of identifies all three at play. He tells Peter that he's going to die. Uh, and then Peter freaks out. He's like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. This will never happen to you. And Jesus right there identifies that as a satanic thought. So you know Jesus already has like in his own flesh uh, the pain of knowing he's going to die because when the time comes where he's going to die, he's sweating blood. He's He's trying to get his disciples to stay awake, he's obviously under immense amounts of stress knowing what's ahead of him. So his own flesh has to deal with this, this difficulty of how he's going to die, but he knows God's calling him into it. So when Peter comes along and begins saying, nah, that'll never happen. You know, we're going to do this our way. You're never going to die. You're going to rule the earth our way. You know, just the implications of all that. Perhaps Jesus is remembering back to the desert when Satan was tempting him Hey, Jesus, here's some other ways that you can get what you want. You can rule all the kingdoms of this world if you uh, just do A, B, and C and try it this way. 
when Peter comes and starts revoicing the satanic temptations to Jesus, uh, suddenly, you know, Jesus just calls it what it is. He looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. He recognizes a satanic thought behind what Peter is actually saying, though Peter may be saying it because he's being influenced by Satan and maybe saying it because Peter out of his own flesh is like, no, no, Jesus can't die. He's, he's going to, he's going to be in charge. We're going to, we're going to take over so on and so forth. So in the end though, you see three things at play. You see, get behind me, Satan. You see, you are not setting your minds on the things of God, but on the things of man. So right there, you have the three, three things at play. God, man, and Satan, all at play in one passage. Anyways, this is a verse that just kind of shows us like the three sources of the things that compel us and to move in different directions are all at play in one place. So uh, the fear people have of foreigners, is it demonic or a lie straight from Satan? Uh, yeah, I would say it is a lie of Satan, but uh, I wouldn't say that uh, it is grounded only in Satan. It often starts by being grounded in our own flesh and then kind of demonically pushed from there uh, to become something even more out of our anxiety. All right, hope that helps with the question. Uh, we're going to move into Genesis now to look at uh, look at the passage of the day. So we've already learned about our purpose as to who we are as uh, uh, Christians. Well, no, uh, as to who we are as humans, okay? So people are often asking the question, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What was the reason for my existence? And we saw that when we looked at our identity last time on the midweek edition, in which uh, God made us in his image. And we talked about how uh, that therefore makes us immatures. Uh, it's really more of like a verb. We are to walk around and image God to the rest of the world. Whatever it is that he would do in this physical planet that we live in, we should be doing that in this physical planet that we live in to the rest of creation, to the other imagers on the planet, to the other human beings, to our spouses, to our children, uh, to the animals, to uh, the plants, to, to everything. God has made us in his image and now given us authority to rule over the creation. So if we rule well, we should be ruling in a way where it would have been exactly as God would rule. So what is your purpose on this planet? You are to walk in the image of God and image him to everything. There's your purpose, your reason for existence. So uh, I hope that uh, kind of fills in that void that you've maybe always wondered about. Um, it, it's kind of surprising that we don't often recognize that because it's right here in the beginning of the Bible. It's as though the Bible itself knew people are wondering why they're here. Well, here's why they're here. They're, they're to image God to everyone. But it doesn't stop there, you know. You might be wondering, therefore, what's my mission? What what am I supposed to be doing? Well, the Bible actually has an answer for that too, and it's related to your purpose, to your identity, to your reason for living. Uh, just as you are an imager, you're now to fulfill the mission uh, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that right there is God's blessing on humanity in Genesis 1.28. And uh, that that right there should speak volumes to us. And the reason it doesn't is because we, <laughs> we always get hung up on the be fruitful and multiply part. And you'll hear, you know, these messages just preached of, ah, God loves uh, the creation that he's made of sex, and we are to participate in sex with a, a spouse and, and create children, and, and, and this is the beauty of sex with, uh, within marriage and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but there's more going on here than just like, and then God made them and told them to go have sex and enjoy the pleasures of life. Uh, really, at the heart right here, now that we've, and this is exactly after God has created humanity in his image, the point of, part of the point of him telling them be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it is because he's made them in his image, and he wants more imagers to move out into the planet until the whole planet begins to take on his image is uh, the work of his imagers. Uh, In other words, think of it this way, okay? So the Bible uh, is going to go on in Genesis to start telling us about uh, the surrounding lands. And it's a a bit surprising, but uh, we start to see throughout Genesis 2, 10 through through 14 that Eden is not the whole world. Uh, Eden is just a place within the world. There's um, Havilah, that's where there's a bunch of gold. Uh, we see uh, these rivers that kind of separate the lands from each other, the Tigris, the uh, whole land of Cush. I mean, there's just a whole lot else out there that is not Eden. Eden is the place in which God dwells and where Adam and Eve, these first imagers, are located. But as they leave, uh, part of their mission is to leave Eden and fill the entire planet with imagers. So you start to see this in a little bit of a different light if you're paying attention. Adam and Eve are located in God's locative presence on the planet, his holy temple uh, in the land of Eden. They are now to have kids and start eventually sending their kids out, be fruitful, multiply, until they fill the entire planet with imagers, so that imagers don't just live in Eden, they go out to the rest of the world that is not Eden, and start trying to make the rest of the world fit uh, what the image of God would have it look like. You can almost see like people leaving Eden to go create more Eden, right? Uh, and people might be like, ah, Jamin, you're just, you're overdoing it. It's really just about, it's just about the pleasures of sex again within marriage. No, look, uh, move to Genesis 8. This is not just like uh, God said at one time and didn't really care much about what he was saying. In Genesis 8, after God floods the earth and wipes it out, guess what he does? He tells the one family that's still alive, the mission is back on track. Now it's time to get out there and do it all over again. Because Genesis, sorry, 9, 9, 1 says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The implication right there is like, 
we've gotten off track. And if you move back, you see that the earth was starting to get filled with a lot of corrupt versions of God's image. So like (laughs) sin had just taken over so rampantly before the flood, it's as though the original plan of filling the earth with God's image has been corrupted. It's failed. And now that uh, we're back to an Adam and Eve state where there's only like these few humans on the planet, God tells them all over again, all right, now get out there and fill the world with my image. Be fruitful and multiply and fill it up. And if we move forward to the story of the Tower of Babel, we see that that is exactly not what they do. Uh, Part of the punishment at Babel is not that like people built a big building. We'll get into that when we get into that story later. But part of the punishment for Babel is that uh, they literally decided to stay in one place and make a name for themselves so that they wouldn't be scattered over the face of the earth. That is... (laughs) That is the exact opposite of what God told them to do. All right, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then they say, all right, let's uh, make a name for ourselves right here and make sure that we don't get scattered across the planet. So <laughs> it just becomes a, it becomes a very important thing to pay attention to because this idea of being fruitful and multiply, obviously it's the same mission that we're, we're still on today. Though again, from a Christian standpoint, we're not like just on mission to like just get out there and have sex with our spouses. No, from a a missional standpoint, we are to fill the earth with God's image. And as Christians, we have a special way of doing that, being a new creation. We are filling the planet uh, with the kingdom of heaven by creating offspring that follow God. In fact, uh, that's kind of what the prophet Malachi said, Malachi 2, 15, when he's talking about marriage, he he saw like part of the purpose is the the children that come out of it. He says, uh, when uh, uh, did he not make them one with a portion of their spirit in the union? So does he not make married people one? And it says, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So this is Malachi saying, like, he, he makes husband a husband and wife one, and what's he seeking out of this? Godly offspring. He, he wants imagers who are going to follow through with being the actual image of God and not following a corrupt way. So that's an important lesson to us as parents, if you're a parent out there, that uh, part of what God's seeking in the being fruitful and multiplying is to create offspring that are godly, that are following him, that are are going to pursue the image of God and show that to the rest of the world, uh, but recognizing that uh, we are also trying to fill the earth with heaven. Jesus tells us, you know, to pray to God that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if we're, we're truly doing that, if we are trying to fill the earth with uh, uh, heaven, then really we're just back on track with the be fruitful, multiply idea. The idea of, hey, fill the whole earth with the image of God until the earth begins to look like the image of God, or the earth begins to look like heaven. And when we look at it in that light, we realize that this idea of be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, the real purpose behind that, to fill it with the image of God, that never went away. <laughs> Because if now we're supposed to make the earth look like heaven, well, part of the way we do that is 
by being fruitful and multiply, sending our children out uh, as godly offspring, or by creating new Christians, right? We, we get uh, out there and we tell them God's open up for adoption, and as they come to God, they now begin to fill the earth, the place that they live in, they now begin to fill it with the image of God. Uh, so, all that being said, I just want to I want to show you today that in Genesis, it's not simply just this, uh, then he made them and told them to have good sex lives. No, uh, part of the purpose behind sex is to, to show the whole planet his image, recognizing that uh, we can't do it as just a singular person. It's going to take people who image God in every single place out there. So, all right, I'm repeating myself at this point. I hope that it's uh, giving you a, a glimpse, though, as to who we are to be as Christians uh, and as to not just your purpose in life, but a mission in life. Uh, it's not just to fill it with people. It's to fill it with God's image. So that's our reading from Genesis 1 today. Uh, next week, we'll be jumping into Genesis 1, and finally closing out the first chapter. We will catch you soon, and thanks for listening to the midweek edition of the 12 Away Podcast.